Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Let's talk about the number one for a second here as we start off Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're one day away from week one in the NFL regular season. The Mariners are one game back of the wild card in just an absurd run that they have been on here. Chaos ball reigning supreme. We are on till one today here on 710 ESPN. And at one, the Cougar pregame show starts. So some numerology to start off here on Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined by my number one guy, Taylor Jacobs. Taylor, good morning to you. And boy, we, we've talked a lot about how it, everything's kind of ramping up for the month of September and the month of October. Well, it's here. It is here. Everything is for the taking for the Mariners, for the Seahawks. I mean, even the Huskies and Cougs still have something to play for, even after their disappointing week ones last week. But uh, I am pumped for this weekend of Seattle sports, uh, what's on the calendar today and tomorrow. Yeah, and one day away, like you just mentioned, a day away from the Seahawks' start of the season. So one truly is the uh, the theme of the show. It's a Sesame Street-type episode here. This this episode brought to you by the number one. Yeah, Brian McKnight, he would like this show. Three Dog Knight, uh, I think they would like this show as well. Uh, I hope you out there will like this show. But yeah, we're on for two hours today with you to 1 o'clock before we hand it over to the Cougar pregame show as they take on Portland State in week two of their college football season. You can join in on the conversation at any point this morning and this afternoon on the Mac and Jack's text line 710-710. That's where you want to go to, but we've got a lot in store for you over the next couple of hours. Obviously, some Mariner conversation as they continue to creep up the wild card standings. They are just a game out with about 22 games left to play in their regular season. Look, that wild card race is going to get very tight. It already is tight with five teams jockeying for two spots right now. You've got the Yankees falling back into the race. You've got the Blue Jays climbing their way up too as well. So much to get to with that. And oh, by the way, tomorrow the Seahawks start their regular season. We get week one of the NFL season going in in a big way tomorrow. It's already underway with the Bucks and Cowboys having played on Thursday night in a thriller. But, uh, man, there is something for everybody over the next 48 hours in the sports world. So let's not waste any more time, Taylor. Let's get to this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, you mentioned it, Curtis. A lot of fans in Seattle have been waiting for this moment. The 2021 regular season is finally here, and the Seahawks get an early start against a non-conference opponent with a 10 a.m. kickoff against the Indianapolis Colts tomorrow. Now, the Seahawks will be taking the field with restructured deals for Quandre Diggs and Dwayne Brown. Brown receiving roughly $7 million guaranteed, but didn't get that deal for the next season like he wanted. Diggs, similar, moving some of that money around to equal $5.05 million in guarantees. But again, both players were seeking some sort of long-term assurances, but didn't get those. Will they get them after the season? Should they get them after the season? Still a lot of questions left there. We'll dive into that a little bit more here in the next segment at 11.15. But let's talk about the game. The shift, the, the focus shifts to actual play on the field, an actual opponent to root against. 
and the Colts will have their starting quarterback under center. According to Frank Reich, Carson Wentz will in fact play tomorrow. What does this mean for the game? Could it be an impact, positive or negative, for the Colts? We'll break all of that down in the next hour. Number two. Three weeks worth of games left of the regular season. The Mariners somehow, someway, are only a game out of that second wild card spot. Perhaps the best news of the week is that they no longer have to face the Astros during any of those remaining games. Mariners able to escape Houston, winning one of three, but luckily for them, they didn't lose any ground in the chase for that second wild card spot, or maybe even the first wild card spot. <laughs> it, that's how tight this race is. Just take care of business the rest of the way, and there's a very real possibility this team could end up playing beyond game 162. Last night, their fourth straight win against an awful Diamondbacks team, winning at 5-4 thanks to Tom Murphy's big bat, and they'll have two more prime chances to pad their win total this weekend. Pretty much a must-sweep series against Arizona as Boston looms after this series wraps tomorrow. The Mariners did receive some unfortunate news this week as both Kyle Lewis and Emerson Hancock were shut down for the remainder of the season. Lewis has had multiple setbacks in his rehab from the meniscus injury he suffered in spring training, limited to him to just 36 games in 2021. As for Hancock, he's been dealing with some shoulder discomfort. The Mariners take on the Diamondbacks again tonight. That'll take place right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pre-game starts at 5, first pitch coming your way at 610 p.m. Number 3. Welp, uh, UW and Wazoo did both play games last week, and that's about where the positivity ends with those two programs as both left scratching their head after disappointing losses to Week 1 opponents. UW losing to Montana and the Cougs losing to Utah State. Now the two teams look to try and get into that win column, but uh, still some some tall tasks for UW ahead of them as they head to the big house today. A 5 p.m. primetime kickoff against Michigan with what is expected to be a fully packed house is going to be a difficult game for the Dogs. Meanwhile, the Cougs squaring off against Portland State, and for some reason... Despite a 31-point favorite line in favor of the Cougs, I've talked to a lot of Coug fans who are still quite nervous about this game coming up against Portland State. So who knows what's going to happen there, but we do know what's happened so far in the first half of the Oregon-Ohio State game. The Ducks on top of the Buckeyes, 14-7. Currently, Oregon with the ball, first and 10 at their own 16 to start the third quarter. So we'll keep you updated on the... uh, the game out there in Columbus had a lot of implications on how far the Pac-12 can potentially go this year may lie on what happens with the Ducks today. So we'll discuss the Pac-12 and if it's on life support already a little bit more at 1145. Just a, a standard segment this time of year. <laughs> When we're talking college football, is the Pac-12, have they already shot themselves in the foot too much here? Uh, Yeah, just a brutal week one for them. But hey, if Oregon can pull it off in the horseshoe today, that's going to set at least the Ducks up nicely for a potential run at a conference title and maybe even a college football playoff berth, which is something this conference hasn't seen since 2016. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, it is a rough go of it in the Pac-12, as we are all accustomed to. Hopefully, brighter days are ahead. I I would think if Oregon is able to pull off this win against Ohio State in Columbus, that would probably be the most impressive win this conference has seen since... Boy, it's been a minute. It has been a hot minute since we have seen a a big-time win 
for this conference, especially in the regular season. We've seen you know a few Rose Bowl victories here or there um, over the last few years, but man, one in the regular season like this, I don't think it would change a lot of the national perception of the Pac-12, and we'll get into this further coming up later in this hour, but it would go a long way in the opposite direction than if the Ducks were to fall. If the Ducks fall today, it's just kind of everybody's like, well, same old Pac-12. Yeah, and yeah, it just keeps that sort of commentary and narrative going forward. But again, we talked about it before. We've we've pled to all the fellow Pac-12 fans to put your swords down for the season and let one team emerge to, to lead us to some sort of collective victory because uh, these days of just meandering in the middle and beating up on each other are, are getting difficult to watch as, as a Pac-12 fan. Look, I, I love the Cougs first, but... I want the Pac-12 to be equally as successful. So, uh, well, or actually, let me rephrase that. I would like the Pac-12 to be way more successful than the Cougs, <laughs> but I would also like the Cougs to be more successful as well. So, Yeah, we're just hoping for better days ahead. Uh, also, some honorable mentions this week. The Kraken Community Iceplex in Northgate officially opened this week, and the Kraken have also held their first practices there. I mean... That is a telltale sign that hockey season is just a few weeks away. And look, we're about two weeks away from them starting their preseason schedule with their three-city uh, three barnstorming tour around the state of Washington. They're going to play games in Everett at the Angel of the Winds Arena. They're going to play games in Spokane. And then they're also coming down to your boyhood in Kent at the Showwear Center. Uh, looking forward to that. If you have an opportunity to catch them at one of those arenas, I would... I would highly recommend you do so because tickets, as we all know, for uh, Climate Pledge Arena, especially on opening night, very hard to come by, uh, especially with the waiting list for season tickets being thousands of people deep. What was it, 30-something thousand people in in 15 minutes signed up for season tickets in an arena that holds like close to 20,000? Yeah, that's it's a hot commodity. So if you can see them at one of those venues, I highly suggest you do so. Uh, I mean, yeah, Taylor, look, we're just a couple weeks away from from actual regular season hockey to watch and also great news root sports this week announcing that they're going to be available on a streaming platform fubo tv uh i mean it's not youtube tv or hulu that a lot of people subscribe to but it's a streaming platform Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999 because they discovered the internet, baby. We're going to the web. Get that dial up. Get your AOL CDs out of the the the, uh, the old closet and let's dial up some sweet coverage there. Uh, but no, you're you're totally right to to have them streaming is so great. And let's not forget sweater weather in five days, Curtis. Ooh. The the quack the quacken sweaters as I as I stumble over my words the cracking sweaters. Releasing in five days to the public. I'm assuming they will sell out instantly. So you got to figure out if you want the uh, the navy colored one or the white colored one. And uh, we're going to see a lot more Kraken gear around the uh, city starting this week. Oh yeah, I, I think if I had my choice, I would go with the white. the the road The road one is so clean. Seeing that at the expansion draft, seeing a couple of those guys wear the road one. I mean. Phew. The blue one, obviously, that's going to be what people are drawn to because that's the home one. But, like, uh, the white one is just so, so clean. I, I think that would be my choice. What, what, which one would you prefer? Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way as well. But then I also, you're right, the the home blues, right? There's something about having the home jersey 
and, and being able to represent the same way when they're in that when climate pledge arena and we're all watching games together. So it's uh, look. Text in 710-710. Let us know wh- which way you're leaning, which jersey color you prefer. Are you going to wait for the third alternate jersey? I'm assuming they'll announce at some point. Maybe with the Anchor logo. That would be another cool addition as well. So uh, I'm just excited. We're talking hockey. We're talking sweaters. We're in September, and we're already looking forward to an NHL season, the first one here in Seattle. And some other news and notes from around the state. Gonzaga head coach Mark Few cited for DUI in Spokane on Monday night. Uh, still awaiting the fallout of that. Uh, I would imagine he will have some kind of punishment from the university. Uh, maybe a few game suspension uh, to start the year. Um, an unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance going down this week. Uh, you know, hopefully it's a learning situation for everybody involved. Uh, don't drink and drive, folks. That's my uh, yeah. that's my advice to you there. And then also uh, a historic day in the state of Washington. The first ever legal sports book in Washington state history opened up this week at Snoqualmie Casino. All other tribal casinos expected to follow suit over the coming weeks. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that many people are going to change their gambling habits because of this, because... Look, sports betting has been around for as long as sports have been played in human history, but uh, now you can do it legally. So shout out to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's your bag, I know I'm not. I know I, I don't want to speak for Curtis. We're not the biggest sports gamblers on this show, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you this: I still do not understand how, within the final few minutes of every single game, no matter the sport, Vegas is almost right. Um, every time that the line is truly right there um so whatever science they're using i i I like it but uh also i just like not losing money and being mad at the same time yeah yeah that's uh that's a good route to go (laughs) i will follow you in that uh in that coming up later on in this hour like i said we're going to talk some college football here get you an update on that oregon ohio state game as the ducks have increased their lead, but also we'll talk to Mariners wild card race as they just sit a game out with three weeks to go in the regular season. But up next, big news with the Seahawks this week. Quandre Diggs is back. Dwayne Brown is back. Everybody's back. No one on the injury report. So only good things can happen on Sunday, right? We'll talk to that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. College football Saturday. We've got a pair of Pac-12 Blue Bloods. I guess you could call them that, at least out here on the West Coast. Taking on a pair of Big Ten Blue Bloods in Ohio State and Michigan. You've got the Huskies taking on Michigan later tonight, but Ohio State and Oregon going on right now. And the Ducks increasing their lead to 21 7 thanks to a CJ Verdell 77 yard touchdown run. Ducks up 21 7 about midway through the third quarter. Uh, you can catch that game on Fox right now. But, uh, boy, that would be a huge one. And then also later tonight at 5 p.m. on ABC, you can catch Washington taking on Michigan. A uh, lot more question marks with the Huskies going into that game because they obviously got upset against Montana last week. Uh, don't need to remind really anybody of that fact because <laughs> – 
Boy, oh boy, what a heart-wrenching week it was last week for college football fans in this state. But we will keep you updated throughout the day. We'll even get you an extended scoreboard of all the action going on in college football right now. That'll kick off uh, the 11 o'clock hour during the Big Three. But right now, uh, we are less than 24 hours away from the Seahawks opener. You can catch that 10 a.m. tomorrow morning on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pre-game show will start at 7 a.m. Seahawks, Colts, everybody back. Everybody back, everybody healthy, everybody happy remains to be seen. Quandre Diggs, Dwayne Brown both get their contracts restructured for the 2021 season. Don't get any added years. They do get the the voidable years coming up here. So there's a potential, there's a, a possibility that they could be back after the season. I think the Seahawks are in very much wait and see mode with those guys. But Taylor... From a front office perspective and from a coaching perspective, the Seahawks have all the boxes that they wanted to have checked, checked. Do you think that is an advantage for them going into Sunday where, look, they don't have any sort of headaches, at least from their point of view, to worry about? Maybe Diggs and and Brown aren't necessarily the happiest campers that they could possibly be, but look, they're getting more money up front. There's a possibility, you know, there's... There's no reason for them to say they haven't been taken care of, at least in the immediacy. What do you think the Seahawks are going to be able to do tomorrow, knowing that, look, there aren't many worries that they're going to have to you know, be thinking about as kickoff nears? Yeah, I think the one and the most important thing is that Russell Wilson's not going to be extremely worried about what's happening on the left side, because with Dwayne Brown there... It's that insurance policy that he truly wanted this season. And and for him, you know, Russell Wilson's future also sort of hanging in the balance this season. A lot is riding on this this season and the outcomes of the games and how far they can truly go. And look, it's going to determine the future of this organization for years to come just solely on what happens this season. I don't want to put too much pressure on, on the moment or make it seem too big, but... I mean, you're you're talking about a lot of contract money that could be signed or or guaranteed to some of these players going forward. So, first and foremost, to have everyone, quote unquote, happy, there, healthy, ready to play, willing to play, um, I, I think is the best sign for the Seahawks team, who, like we just mentioned, desperately needs to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. What do you think, Curtis? Is this is this a win for all sides? I know Brown and Diggs get the more guaranteed money. They sort of got the Seahawks to agree to that part. But did the Seahawks also, can they hold their head up high in this this situation? I think the team absolutely can. I think the front office, the coaching staff, I think the salary cap experts in that front office, they can hold their head high here. I think Diggs and Brown the statement that they made with their hold in, I think they can stand by that and say like, Hey, I, I know my value. And if I play up to that value, you're going to be forced to give me what I want at the end of this season. And I think Diggs and Dwayne Brown strike me as guys that are very motivated people. They're not guys that are going to ever take their foot off the gas pedal. I mean, Diggs has been an incredible pickup ever since they just sent a fifth round pick to Detroit a couple of years ago for him. Same with Dwayne Brown. I mean, 
the the price tag for him, a second round pick, people kind of scoffed at that. Like, oh, this guy's, you know, in, entering into his you know later years in his NFL career, but he has been an incredible pickup and really a stabilizing force on that offensive line. You mentioned just the urgency for this team and, and f- how badly they need to make a, a run in the playoffs. And by that, I mean go beyond the divisional round. We've seen them win wild card games. We've seen them get to the divisional round. But as Jake Heaps pointed out yesterday on Jake and Stacy, they're one of, I think, five teams in the NFC that have not played in an NFC title game since the last time they were there at the end of the 2014 season. And we're talking teams like Washington and Dallas and Detroit and Chicago, teams that just have had no business being listed among the contenders in the NFC. And the, and the Seahawks, I believe they're either the winningest team in the NFC or the second winningest team in the NFC ever since 2014 in terms of regular season wins. And yet they have not been able to translate that into postseason success. You have all your ducks in a row right now heading into the season that can only set you up for, you know, a good run, at least in, in the start of the year. Now you've got really, you know, two tough games to start the year at Indianapolis where the Colts' defense is, is really good, especially up front with DeForest Buckner and, and company. And then you got the Titans in Week 2 who come to your building who have weapons galore offensively with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, that where the Seahawks are right now, you could not ask them to be in a better spot organizationally heading into these games. But, I mean, we're just you got to play the games and that's where the ultimate test is going to lie for this team over the first couple weeks of the season. And I mean, you're installing a new offense. It, it, it helps to have all the business side taken care of when now you've got to worry about just the game itself. Yeah, that's, that's spot on right there. Curtis, the, the business side for them is taken care of for the season, focus on the football and then let's re renegotiate reapproach some of these negotiations come the the end of the the run whenever it may be and and look I still think Dwayne Brown may end up here for another two three years two three seasons and I think Russell Wilson could also end up here for another two three seasons and this could all sort of coincide with okay Pete's got a this many years left that he wants to keep coaching um and this is how long Russell is going to be playing at the top of his his career could he have a Brady like sort of twilight that we'll find out about that but that's just sort of how the rest of the QB world has played for eons essentially um and the fact that this you're just the urgency right now the contracts are out of the way they can go out and focus on football and try and get those two tough wins especially again like you said Curtis against the Colts and Titans then come back with that confidence knowing that when you play some of those divisional games that do test you quite a bit the Rams always give you a tough time the Cardinals always give you a tough time who knows what version of the Niners we'll see this season so yeah to to get off to a good start to maybe potentially get those two wins you know under your belt to to start it could be potentially the start of a big snowball effect for this whole entire organization. Well, and look at last year, how important the start of the season was for the Seahawks in getting that divisional title and getting a home playoff game. If they didn't have that start where they went, what I think five and zero, six and zero, whatever it was, 
if they had gone, you know, two and three or, or, you know, three and two in that stretch, who knows if that team would have been a playoff team by the season's end because of how the second half of the season went. You you bank those wins early on in the season. All of a sudden now it becomes easier and easier and easier to get to the postseason. And look, this NFC West race is going to be very tight this year. I still think that the Rams and the 49ers have it within themselves to challenge the Seahawks for a divisional title. Do I think they're necessarily better than the Seahawks at this point? I don't think so, but look, I could uh, tomorrow could prove me wrong very easily. I, I don't think the Cardinals are, are staying a chance to compete for the divisional title. I think they're going to be, uh, you know, 8-9, and 9-8, Ten and seven team this year. Uh, I just don't see them, you know, putting up much of a fight in the divisional race. So I- I'm I'm hyped to see what the Seahawks have in store for us tomorrow. Uh, we will talk later on what we expect to see in the game because look, we've got a game on our hands tomorrow. There's going to be a lot of interesting matchups to watch out for the Seahawks offense going up against that Colts defense, Colts offense going up against Seattle secondary. Seahawks offensive line. What matchup are you looking forward to the most tomorrow? Text that into the Mac and Jacks text line 710-710. Uh, we'll read some off coming up in the show this morning. But coming up next, Mariners, they have a huge weekend here. They need two more wins against the Diamondbacks in order to keep pace in this wild card race before they welcome in the start of next week. We will talk just can these Mariners pull it off They've surprised us at every turn in the 2021 season. Do they have three more weeks left of surprises? We'll talk that next year on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. One game back of the wild card. Three weeks to go in the regular season. The Mariners... With an opportunity to not just alleviate 20 years of frustration of missing the playoffs. And people were like, oh, it's one game, it's a wild card game. But look, it's further than the Mariners have ever gone in the last two decades. And to me, that that means something. That would mean something big for not just the organization itself, but it would mean something big for the fan base. And look, a wild card game in this town... Even even though it's it's not a guarantee of playing in the divisional series, I just feel like there would be such a a fever over it, and and you can feel it. I mean, we're a game out of the wild card race right now. The Mariners, it is within reach, Taylor. And boy, what kind of lift would even reaching the wild card game, in your opinion, give? the organization and, and also the fan base. It'd be huge. And I think one thing to look, it can't be, that can't be overstated Curtis. It would be massive. Even the one game, if they make the one game and then lose what I'm thinking about right now are all these valuable reps at bats, you know, pitching situations that these guys are getting into right now. And what sort of impact that will have on them going forward. They won't be, jaded by the moment next season when it rolls around to September, mid-September, and they're a game out or they're a game up in the division or or something along those lines. This team is getting battle-hardened by some of these games right now, and it's so great to see. And 
Look, you got Flexen on the mound tonight, who's been one of the biggest surprises of the season. And at the start of the year, I'm, I might not even have been able to tell you anything about him. And now I'm thinking, this guy needs to be on the team. He needs to be a part. And then you look at um, the the probable for tomorrow is Kikuchi and, and what a start he had. And in spite the second half of the season, this this team is finding ways to win. So you can't really rule them out no matter who's on the mound. You can't rule them out in any sort of in-game situation. We've seen them come back time and time again in the ninth and tie it up and force extra innings. And it, it just feels like everything that's happening right now is so beneficial for this team and where they're heading. And playoffs or not, and I know it's it's easy for me to say that here, sitting here, it's it's not easy to say that with the, the playoff drought, but man, it just feels like this team has taken a step as an organization in the right direction. And that's why today, September 11th, we're 13, we're talking about a team that's 13 games above 500. Yeah. And, and a team that the expectations heading into this year were probably a 70 to 75 win team. They have exceeded those expectations with, you know, uh, three weeks to go and it is you know people kind of question the the authenticity of this team as a contender and rightfully so i mean their run differential still is in the negative what 50s or something last night a one run win again against the diamondbacks a team that they should be beating up and look i mean a win is a win is a win yeah they mariners have not won very impressively this year but look the win-loss record, that's what gets you into the playoffs. Run differential is not what gets you into the playoffs. Uh, run differential helps the win-loss record, as we've seen in, in years past. And But look, we're just... The Mariners are within reach on September 11th, like you said, which is something that I don't think anybody had anticipated at all this year. Even Jerry DePoto and his wildest... Uh, you know, visions of this season probably did not have the Mariners competing for a playoff spot, especially because, especially what's so wild about this is that the young prospects that a lot of people have pinned their hopes on this season, guys like Evan White, Kyle Lewis, even Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, uh, Logan Gilbert have had varying levels of success or not success. And, you know, I would say of that group, maybe Logan Gilbert has had the most positive contribution to the team. And I mean, he's had a couple of great starts here and there, but it's been, you know, a, a leaving a lot to be desired over the last few weeks with him. He had that good start against the Astros, but wasn't able to really follow it up his next time out. I mean, we talk about this Mariners team and so often it's, it's just, you know, Oh, wait till next year. And people are, you know, the goal of this rebuild is to turn them into a World Series contender, which is, you know, obviously everybody wants that here. No one hears that and is like, no. But look, getting to the wild card would mean something big to this fan base. I don't care that people are like, oh, the wild card game shouldn't be your goal. But look, it's the best the Mariners can do at this situation right now. Why wouldn't you want them to make the wild card and, and really go for it here at the end of the season? Because look, you're not you're not probably not going to win the division unless the Astros absolutely collapse here. So why not play with the cards that you're dealt? 
And think about the message it sends to the players on the field currently for this team and also the rest of the players around the league with free agency looming next year and, and this being an important offseason for the Mariners, trying to get a couple more big names to help subsidize some of this young talent coming up through the farm system. This is how you show those free agencies this is a place you want to to, to play at and be at and that the 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 future is bright and it's happening now so this is the time to jump in and and be a part of it and like you said Curtis uh, you, you know getting almost no contribution from Kyle Lewis due to injury this year no fault to his own but you know having the up and down season from a lot of these young guys as well you haven't seen that consistency yet and then yet the Mariners have found a way to keep winning these games and that's exactly what you want in spite of the run differential getting blown out one game and coming out and scrapping out a one 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 run victory the next day that takes a lot and I know that in the stat sheet when you look at the the standings it'll say one and one and with the minus number but look getting that one win is so important and that's where it starts get get the win and you move on you, and you keep stacking those wins and when you get to the playoffs that's the mentality that carries some of these teams that don't have the talent like the Dodgers or the Padres. That's how you contend with some of those teams. Not saying this team can, but that's how you do it, is the belief that, look, we can get blown out one game, come back the next day, and scrap out a victory. And by doing so, you're again, you're getting battle-tested. You're getting hardened for the next few seasons and knowing that, Important baseball is still yet to be played, and these guys will be ready for those moments as they come for years to come. Yeah, and it gives a lot of these guys on this year's team something to hang their hat on in, in years down the road, too. Like, hey, we made it to the playoffs. We know what it takes to get there. Maybe not, you know, putting up the prettiest stats, but look, they have been able to do something that very few Mariner teams have been able to do over a 20 year stretch, and that's compete this late into the season and not just compete, but also have a very real opportunity at making it to the playoffs. And there's five teams right now within, you know, the same kind of grouping. Taylor, when you look at this Mariners team right now, uh, what gives you the most confidence in them that they can pull this off? Because look, 20 years, that'll beat a fan base down for sure. And and everybody kind of looks to the negative, like, Oh, well this Mariners team has never been able to get over that hump in, in two decades. But what on this team right now do you think can can catapult them over that hump that they've fallen uh, they've fallen down on every single year for uh, you know the better part of two decades? Uh, it's a fantastic question. Look, if I actually knew the answer, I would probably be on the staff helping helping out Scott and <laughs> and making sure that they do whatever I would say to the answer to this question, but. To me, it just starts with a little bit more consistency, right? Get a little bit more consistency from the guys starting off the game, right? And then you get a little bit more consistency from the guys coming out of the bullpen. You don't have to tax them. They don't have to go as long into games. They're a little bit more fresh as you head into this final stretch. And then, again, that relieves some of the pressure on the bats. They don't have to go out there and know they have to put up a, a, a gangbusters number amount of runs or, or force the issue, try and get on in scoring position. They can be a little bit more tactical, and, and they can know that they can let the game and the pitches come to them and the situations come to them. So 
to me, it's about just in the in the next few weeks finding the consistency that a lot of players have shown throughout the season. They just haven't held on to it for long stretches. Kaku, or yeah, you say being one of the big uh, ones who had it at the beginning, but still, I mean, uh, you just got to find the consistency at the at the start of that game between the bats and the and the arms, M- more specifically the arms. Yeah, piggybacking off what you had to say about the arms in that pitching staff, the starters, they got to get you good innings pretty much every time out. You can't have guys that are going to go two, three innings, dive out of the game, and, and you have your bullpen out there to wear it. You got to have your pitchers go at least five innings. And then, look, this bullpen, I what I just said about you know the bullpen giving them a good you know thing to work with here, Look, I have the utmost confidence in this bullpen, which is something that 365 days ago would not have been able to say because the Mariners' bullpen last year was absolutely terrible. It was a 60-game season, sure, but there's no way they would have been able to pick that performance up over the course of a full season. This year, I would put this Mariners' bullpen up against any team's best bats, and that, to me, gives me confidence because – the deeper into the year you're going to go, the tighter the games get. And the tighter the games get, the more often you're going to go to that bullpen, especially in big situations. And the Mariners have shown, you know, they've got guys that can pitch in big situations. So to me, that's what gives me the most confidence they can pull this off. Uh, we want to hear from you. What do you think? Uh, what What do you think the Mariners have that gives you the most confidence they can pull this off and get to the wild card game, which, I mean, look, a crazy question to ask, but it would have been an even crazier one about five months ago. Coming up next, we've got some Pac-12 scores to update you on. And also, can the conference dig themselves out of the hole that they dug themselves into in week one? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It couldn't have been a worse week one for the Pac-12, or maybe it could have. There could have been even more upsets that would have been at the hands of opponents of the Pac-12 last week. But look, the Pac-12 needing to get back up after getting knocked down a week ago. Look, the Huskies, the Cougs, they didn't help out the affairs of the conference last week, losing to Montana and Utah State. We've spent the entire week on 710 trying to diagnose what went wrong for those games. And it wasn't just the Cougs and the Huskies either. There were other upsets throughout the conference. But look, there are there's still an entire college football season left to be played outside of week one. So far, things are going the Pac-12's way this morning with the Ducks taking on the Buckeyes right now. Oregon still up by two scores on the Ohio State Buckeyes, 28-14 late in the third quarter. But, man, oh, man, this conference could really use a pick-me-up like a win over Ohio State would give this conference. Taylor, when you look at the Pac-12 and what they put forth last week, is it fair to say that Outside of Oregon, there may not be another team that can get into the college football playoff. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on there. USC could maybe, UCLA could maybe. Those are the other two teams. Um, UCLA with the other big victory there from the Pac-12. But 
Yeah, it, it, it just feels again, and to give you an update, 28-14 as the third quarter winds down there in Columbus, Ducks on top. It feels like after this game in 15 minutes game time, it feels like Oregon will be the team from the Pac-12 that is the clear cut you know, playoff favorite. And, and again, we've, we've mentioned it on this show. We've mentioned it weeks now, weeks and weeks now that this is the season. The PAC 12 needs someone to do it. And, and I, I've got to the point where I don't even care. I don't care that it's Oregon and I don't care that it's a school that I've grown to hate even more than you dub in my time as a Cougar fan. And yet here I am scoreboard watching really hoping the Ducks start to run this thing up on Ohio State so that the rest of the conference, when they play their games and they have their tougher games throughout the season, it looks better for them. It looks better for the the Cougs when they lose a close game to an Oregon team like this. So to me, it's just really hoping the next quarter of football for this Oregon Ducks team goes accordingly so that next week we're still talking about a playoff potential for this Pac-12 conference and we're not talking about well where do we go from here yeah because you never want to have your college football playoff hopes dashed in week one or two as a conference maybe as you know as a team it's it's a little easier to stomach in that way I think there are Husky fans that are just kind of you know obviously licking their wounds from week one saying you know what we weren't a college football playoff team turns out uh same with you know, other fans across the country. Uh, I think the Huskies probably had the worst upset of any team across college football a week ago. But look, there's still a possibility of the Pac-12 having a college football playoff team, which goes to show the importance of every single game during a college football regular season. You just cannot afford to slip up at any point, let alone have an ugly slip up like we saw. But you look at just where the conference is right now, you hope that UCLA is emerging as a good team. They've got two pretty good wins to start their season. Chip Kelly looks to have things a little bit more under control than he did at the start of his tenure in Westwood. USC, obviously, they're going to get five stars regardless of who the head coach is. Do I trust Clay Helton to uh, get that team back to national prominence? Not necessarily, but you know you've got probably the best quarterback in the conference in Keaton Slovis. So you've got that going for you. But of those three teams, I just Oregon's to me seems like the team that is head and shoulders above the rest. So, you know, it, it, it's also tough to kind of expect Oregon to run the table because, look, the Pac-12 plays nine conference games. They don't play eight like the SEC does. So that is one less opportunity of scheduling a cupcake where you may have to go on the road to an environment where, look, winning on the road in the Pac-12, not easy to do. Despite how, you know, despite there are a lot of places in the conference where the home atmosphere, not the greatest, looking at you, Stanford, looking at you, Cal, uh, you know, (laughs) looking at those places where, it's just not a hostile environment at all. But, hey, it's tough to win on the road. But, look, this would be one of the most impressive wins we have seen from a Pac-12 school in quite some time, as we talked about earlier in the hour. Uh, I think the Pac-12 right now is in a decent spot even after what we saw, even after the carnage of week one. Yeah, and love this text here from the 253. Cougars are still going to lose their eighth straight Apple Cup. Probably. 
And look, they probably will lose tonight, too, to be honest with you. At this point, anything is possible. I know the line, like I said earlier, 31 points. But look, um, both of these programs can have high highs and really low lows. And I think we've seen it recently from both programs that, look, you can have and feel like you're on top of the world and everything's going great. And then within a few days, within a week time, within one game, everything, expectations, you know, thoughts about the future, recruiting. We haven't even talked about what type of an impact this past week might have on recruiting for both Wazoo and UW. Um, so it, look, it's now more than ever time for these teams to, to figure it out. It, look, you can't get over the losses from last weekend, but you can move forward and try and win. So UW, try to go to Michigan, take that victory on the road, a big win. There's still going to be a lot of eyes on that game. For the Cougs, try and find that offense, find who you are, figure out who you are under this Rolovich leadership. And how about this? Maybe give Max Borgie the ball a little bit more, okay? <laughs> That's one thing that really was getting under my skin is you have a player like that and he's barely touching the ball. Um, so, again, it just shows sort of where the Pac-12 – it's pretty emblematic of where the Pac-12 is right now. Like, they can be really at the great high-high or can hit that low-low pretty quickly. And, again, quarter left in Columbus, Ohio State with a big 30-yard play to end the third quarter – Keep an eye on the things in Columbus and what's going to happen with the Ducks because, again, the ripple effect from this game, even into later on in the season, will be massive. we still got a couple minutes left before we had to break, but, Taylor, when you look at this Washington game tonight against Michigan, 5 p.m., ABC, under the lights at the big house, one of the most hostile environments in all of college football, so much of the conversation this week has been focused on, well, if the Huskies start 0-2, where does that leave this program going forward? Let's let's spin it the other way. What if the Huskies actually get the win? Do you throw out everything we learned about the Huskies in Week 1 against Montana and chalk it up to just a team having an awful week? Is there anything that this Husky team can do tonight that would get you to forget about Week 1 against Montana? I don't know if you can fully forget that game. I think it's going to linger there for a few years just because of, you know, how big the odds were, you know, the the Grizz, in, you know, it, it seemed like it was almost next to impossible for that to happen. But I'll tell you this, the dogs go to Michigan. They head in Ann Arbor and they control this game. They run the ball. They move the ball offensively. They're really controlling all aspects of this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna build some of that credit back up in U Dubs in my sort of respect and my eyes towards this program and they can do it. It's not out of the realm of possibility for this team to go go there and do that. But to me, you you, you got to show it. This is the week. There's no time like this week. Again, big matchup, big opponent on the road to go and to to control the entire game offensively, defensively, and even on the special team side as well. Uh, they can do a big, big service to themselves by getting a big victory. Montana will always linger, especially the at the end of the season, but I think they can get a nice big victory. Forget that. Have the old the Ted Lasso goldfish men mentality and move <laughs> on to the next one. I do think it's interesting how in the lead-up to this week uh, between Washington and Michigan, there has been very little talk about how 
Washington's going up against Jim Harbaugh, and there's a huge crossover between Husky fans and Seahawks fans. You know, obviously they play just a few miles apart from each other. Like this is one of the great Seattle sports villains taking on the team, the university in the city of Seattle. Like I, I just, I, it's wild to me that Jim Harbaugh, that storyline has not gotten as much play as I think it, it deserves because this is a, a very sports hateable guy that your, your college team is going to be going up against. Uh, it, it just, it's wild to me that just, you know, there's kind of this like, oh, it's Michigan, whatever. Like, we're going to go into this game hoping for the best, expecting the worst. Like, no, there's a guy that is very hateable on the other sideline. Yeah, and, and look, these these are two storied programs, two storied conferences that have had history for many, many years. And, you know, there's a sense of pride. Look, this is the West Coast. You represent the West Coast in this matchup versus the, the Midwest. So... You got to represent for not only the the school, the city, the the rivalries of past and present, but also the entire the, the entire coast and and what it means. So, uh, yeah, to get a win over Harbaugh, even as a Coug fan, it feels like it, it it's a good thing to talk about Harbaugh being in the L column, no matter the opponent, even if it's the dogs, an opponent I you know my uh, enemy's enemy is my friend type of a thing. There you Not go. in this case. <laughs> Coming up in the next hour, we'll get you a big three of all that's going on from a national perspective, including a college football scoreboard of all the morning action going on. And also, we'll get into some NFL headlines and then get down to brass tacks when it comes to this Seahawks-Colts game going on tomorrow. All up ahead in the second hour of Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.